Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and I've got another interesting episode for you today. My guest is Virginie Raphael. She's the founder and managing partner at Full Circle, which is a pre-seed fund investing in a better workforce. Virginie's worked in finance and venture for almost two decades and she's raised a fund which invests up to $250,000 into initial rounds ranging from anything between $500,000 and two million dollars. Virginie and I connected towards the end of last year, share many of the same points of view about the future of work. So this was a really interesting conversation in which we explored why now is a good time to start something, the opportunities and challenges of a more independent workforce, why we need to reimagine a CV and LinkedIn profile, personalizing education and careers, and the non-linear multi-stage life. If you'd like to find out more about Virginie and Full Circle, you can find links in the show notes. And of course, if you want to read more about themes like this, check out the newsletter Future Work Life on Substack or LinkedIn, and also order a copy of my book, Work Life Flywheel, all of which I link to in the show notes. So thanks as ever for listening. Here's my conversation with Virginie Raphael. So Virginie, it is great to speak to you today. I'd like to start with a pretty broad question. And given your day-to-day work, I'm really intrigued to hear why now might be a good time to start something new. And I'm talking about starting something new in the startup world. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we are at a really, really unique time post-COVID, right? If you follow, so I have a public policy background, as I think you know. Um, the evolution at that high level, macro level, if you want to start anchoring the conversation around what's happening around us, has been from a very structured, non-flexible workforce. And I'm French on top of that, right? So like I, I keep in mind the like very top-down model of there's an employee-employer relationship, and that's pretty much the only mode of work that we know. You get everything from your employer, your pension, your health benefits, right? And everything is very structured and people have one job typically in their career. And that's where they spend their time working and building their career. And that's it. Mm. And then it reflects really nicely on LinkedIn, right? You spend X amount of time at a company next mm-hmm. week. Okay. That's the old, the old world. Then over the past 10 to 15 years, that started to change, right? And at the policy level in the US anyway, you can sort of trace it back to COBRA make it possible to keep your health insurance as you leave an employer. And if you want to start a new thing, right, you can be on COBRA for a period of time and not lose your health benefits entirely. Okay. Or 401ks, right? On the retirement side, leaving your employer doesn't also mean that you don't have a pension or you don't have any retirement savings whatsoever, right? So really interesting to see that shift. That meant that the workforce became a little bit more fluid, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more um, you know, it became more possible for people to certainly move from one employer to the next and or start new things, right? And leave the corporate world altogether in that very inflexible kind of employee-employer relationship. Great. Mm. I think we're now at this point in time to more directly answer your question where post-COVID, right? I think there's a m- more clear focus on the individual and what it is that they want to do and better integrating work and life, right? Where you may have, on average, right, the younger generations will have 12 jobs in their career. You may have more than one job at once. You may have many different things that you're really good at for a variety of reasons that you want to capitalize on and monetize on. Like, And that should be possible, right? I think in this period of time at a macro level, but also 
at a very granular tech level, there's ways to help people identify their skill set a lot earlier, mm. um, where you don't have to lock yourself into a path because you went to school or studied XYZ things. And then, you know, the only path toward in front of you is a job at a corporation somewhere that you're miserable at uh, 10 years after you started. Uh, I think there's, yeah. we can do so much better than that. And I'm really excited about the opportunities. Yeah, me too. Completely agree with all of that. Um, before we drill down into some of the details and, and maybe before we look at it from the perspective of the individual, just one more broad question. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm interested in how you think the evolution towards a more flexible and fluid workforce impacts how companies hire and manage people. Does it just change fundamentally the way they should be thinking about that? I think it does. I think you're already seeing it in the data, right? There's a lot more of a mix between permanent, and it's not about full-time or part-time, right? But permanent employees versus kind of contractors and people that they just hire for a very specific purpose for a determined period of time. Um, and so they, you know, they're thinking more and more of either how to augment uh, their existing employer base, employee base, or how to fill in some gaps that they may not need to go out and hire a permanent person for, right? Because mm -hmm. it is just a need that they have at a particular point in time that they don't expect to continue, right? Um, I, I think the the tools exist now for a company to actually think about employing not just kind of in a very inflexible mode of like, well, do we hire this person full-time and then join the company? with all the costs and implications that that has, right? Or do we think about having a, a completely new talent pool that we just tap into for very specific purposes mm. in and out of the, of the company? So I think that's already happening. Uh, I think in, in terms of how they actually recruit even the permanent um, talent pool, right? Um, there's changes definitely in terms of what those people expect, right? Um, there's definitely a higher focus from, from employees, I think on personal development and having time outside of the company to do other things. Uh, you know, I think if, if companies recruit with the same exact ones that they always have, they will just not have access to a pool of talent that is now yeah. available, um, for their competitors. So people will lose out on talent period. Yeah. I mean, flipping it around to the other side almost, are there limitations to hiring in an increasingly independent workforce? So, of course, in one sense, organisations have to respond because, as you said, if they don't, you know, if the if the tide goes out, they're left high and dry to an extent. But I suppose once they adopt that mindset that, okay, we can hire a more fluid workforce, we can hire more independent workers, I'm just... So thinking about the second order effects, what does that mean in terms of limitations? Does it just mean that, for example, training and development, that investment that they would typically have thought, I'm going to invest in this person, they can be with me for years. Um, does that make it more unlikely that people receive that learning and development? Or again, is that just something we have to get used to, that we're collectively raising the skills of the workforce, knowing that we're going to benefit from it just as much as we're going to lose out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I think there are definitely some uh, structural, almost like infrastructure considerations that need to be taken into account. 
Otherwise, there's going to be some cost consequences for companies, right? I, I think mm. uh, in, in a few areas specifically, onboarding and offboarding, for example, right? If you're going to have a more fluid workforce, by definition, you'd better have some really solid documentation processes in place, right? So that knowledge doesn't uh, become <laughs> just as fluid as your employee bases, right? Because if people mm. uh, leave, then there's a there's a huge concern around transfer of knowledge, right? And whether that knowledge has been properly documented inside the company before they do. So I think there's definitely some concerns around costs from the standpoint of of capturing that knowledge and making sure that you have internally the processes in place to prevent that from happening. That's one. Um, I think another consideration in the cost structure is around kind of benefits and thinking through in a new way in terms of, you know, uh, are are there some employees, for example, that won't leave their current job regardless of how miserable they are because the company offers a really good uh, parental leave policy, for example, right? Mm. Um, I, I think if we think about that and flip it, right, you can say, okay, well, if we have a more flexible understanding of what benefits can be, i.e. having a way to have portable benefits, and that has been a topic um, on the contractor side of things, right? The 1099, the gig economy, whatever you want to call it, there's been a, a, a movement or at least a, a need to address this this portable benefit issue. Can we create a package that rather than translate into a very high cost structure because at one point in time, one of your employees need a specific policy, well, for compliance reasons, you need to offer it to everyone and now you've yeah. baked in a benefit and, and increase your cost structure to satisfy the needs of one of your employees at one point in time in the past. That makes no sense, right? We need, we need I think, creative solutions around kind of that benefit um, package. That, that's another area where there's an impact clearly that's in the short term, not, not beneficial, could be problematic for companies. Um, On the learning and development side, interesting, the point you raise of a company less likely to do this because if they invest in a person, but they know they're going to be gone in two years, what, what does that do? I, I think overall though, if you think back to where we started this conversation at the more individual level, and have a way to capture properly the skills that a person might have that you can verify, right? Um, mm-hmm. That sort of comes out as a wash, I think, in, in the long term, where if a company acquires a worker that has been trained at another company on that very particular skill, great, as long as you can verify that and leverage that, right? I think if we have an understanding of a whole person at a much more granular level, eventually it sort of equals out and companies continue to invest in in a more uh, targeted way in, in people and don't see this as a wasted cost necessarily because they also gain talent from other companies that have trained people in a specific yeah. area. Um, so mm. I think in the long term, mm. beneficial. Yeah, and, and on, on that skills point, we often hear about a global skills shortage. And I think while that's often thought of as a lack of people, those skills most in demand and arguably in vogue at any time, say, cybersecurity, digital marketing, machine learning is a wider point, I think, which is more to do with how we demonstrate that we have the skills that we acquire on the job. Namely, there's not really an efficient way of doing so at present, or certainly not scale, um, and definitely not when viewed through the lens of the outdated CV or even a LinkedIn profile. I'm interested how you think we should think about this challenge and what you see as the likely possible solutions to it. 
I, um, because we're talking from two different vantage points geographically, right? On the, the other side of the pond. Uh, I, I think Europe, generally speaking, is a lot stronger on vocational training. Uh, I think the U.S. has a little bit more of a tradition of, you know, the path is sort of everyone goes to college. And I think we're we're currently finding out what that means at a macro level, right? A lot of people are in debt, uh, have, have a degree that doesn't really translate into a job and demonstrable skills. And um, that has not been a good thing overall, right, as, as a society, I think. Um, I think we need to move more toward on-the-job training or even inside companies, right? There's, back to that knowledge transfer point, there are ways to actually leverage your own resources that you already have, right? It doesn't need to cost anything. It doesn't need to mean that you send people to boot camps or even though I believe that, that that's important, um, continuous learning, I think, is, is, is going to only increase because people have this desire to continue to learn over time and online courses of, of, a, of a lot of different uh, come in in a lot of different flavors and, and are uh, something that company will continue to, to offer, I think, increasingly. Um, but if you even take the, the existing employee base that you have and the launch that you have within a company, there are ways to continue to have people share with each other, pay it forward, feel recognized and feel valued for what they know and, and the role that they have to play and the skills that they have inside the company and share it with others, right? And this this idea of peer mentorship or there's a lot of talks around employee engagement. I think the reality is that there's not a lot of tools that companies are willing to pay for externally now. Uh, but I do think there's a, a willingness to think through, okay, what do we have and how do we do more with less in a in the current recessionary yeah. environment? Um can we leverage our employees to sort of train each other, right, and, and and transfer knowledge and skills amongst themselves in a way that enables them to to grow and feel like they belong more in the organization? Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. It is a fascinating space. Of course, with formal education or even formal training within the workplace, that represents often still a relatively small percentage of people's time on the job, doesn't it? You know, I mean, how much time do people spend informal training? I don't know what the proportion would be, but let's say less than 5%. So what's happening within the rest of that 95% yeah. of their time? And how do we capture insights about that to give people the opportunity to demonstrate the, the value that they're bringing, the contribution they're making? The zooming out a little bit, but sort of thinking about this, I'm really fascinated by this idea of the end of the three-stage life I, I don't know if you've read any of Linda Gratton's work and Linda Gratton and Andrew Scott wrote about this a few years ago and they said you know rather than this three-stage life formal education work retirement what's emerging instead is an acceptance and embrace of our work and life taking different paths and detours um, and again I suppose on the similar point how do you think about the consequences of this for job discovery and showing talent and expertise now the non-linear career paths becoming the norm how do people better represent the value that taking different courses in their life might bring to them yeah i i think that's all that's another fascinating it could be a you know three-hour conversation in of itself yeah yeah uh a i fundamentally agree with it right back to my point of like work-life integration um i think this idea that you have very distinct phases in your life if you think of like how much longer we live, period, right? Like that just means that that concept by definition almost is broken, right? Yeah. I, I think of it all as a missed opportunity because 
I think if you, you know, going back to like doing more with less and like actually recognizing the value of the people you already have in terms of that retired workforce, for example, employees are, uh, companies are really missing out on creating true alumni networks almost, right? Like picture someone who quote unquote retired from the company. If you put them more in like semi-retired state where, you know, perhaps they have deep, deep, deep institutional knowledge, right? Which hopefully has been captured properly per our discussion earlier. Um, but let's just say, you know, they're available for a period of four months and someone goes on leave for whatever reason, parental leave otherwise. And if you had a really powerful alumni network that's ready to say, sure, you know what, like for a period of four months, I'm not in Hawaii, I'm not in whatever other thing I'm doing during my semi-retirement, perfectly mm. willing to like come back and do the job and like, you know, yeah. they, they they already know, they already know the organization. Could they come back for a period of four, four months just to, you know, make a little bit extra income and like just because they like being active and they like the company very much and they've been engaged in, on an alumni basis and still really like the people there and still really love the company? Great. Like that would mm. be... Right to me, rather than finding a temp worker or finding a way to like make that work, like you have right there a pool of people who used to be at mm. the company and are in a different phase in their life where they're perfectly willing to take a four month engagement, but not a full time job anymore. Right, just that four month engagement, and they'll go back to playing golf or whatever else they want to do. Uh, I think that'd be tremendous, uh, and I yeah. see it really as a missed opportunity that that companies don't do that. Um, I think similarly, there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant kids or people that we have a lot to learn from. They're digital native, right? Uh, I I think that idea of creating a multi-generational workforce, uh, I find that pretty fascinating as well. And that goes back to your point about the different phases, not being so anymore. Um, you know, I think if we could grab a way to to capture expertise and like kids just because, I don't know. I mean, silly example, like my son has read the Harry Potter series front to back a number of times. I haven't, I don't know what knowledge can be extracted from that. Right. But like clearly he's <laughs> more of an expert in that than I am. And then I ever yeah. will be probably. Is there a way to start validating certain skills? Or like what does that tell me about him? Right. That he's, a super dedicated reader and can read things fast yeah. and more than one time. I'm sure there's some something to extract from that in terms of what he will like doing later on in life, right? Yeah. Uh, I think if we could capture that on really, really early on, we can help plenty of kids find fulfillment at work later down the yeah. line in a way that doesn't have to cost their parents like four years of college which <laughs> in the U.S. is tremendously yeah. expensive. Um, yeah, anyway, mean, so I, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I, I maintain that the next trillion dollar company will be the person that works out how to personalize education at scale because I have the exact, exact same thing with, with my kids. So my oldest is 10 and he spends the pretty much first hour of every morning with my wife playing every variety of wordle there is i mean there is literally there's like a new one every year it's wordle there's things around movies around music he's obsessed at the moment about they have this quiz essentially about u.s states and it's uh -huh. which state is like borders i mean he's, he's obsessed with this and he loves that way of thinking and solving problems like that 
get him to sit down and try and do his homework on, I don't know, inferences, reading a story and have to write down. And he just will not do it. So it's not that his brain can't engage in that way. It's just we haven't found a way to extract the, a, a way of learning which fits with the, what he really enjoys and intrinsically what motivates yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of kids, right, who just won't learn well in a traditional setting, right? And that doesn't yeah. mean that they're not good at school or like not any more, you know, don't have any more of a valuable skill set as the next kid who like completed the quote unquote more traditional curriculum and went to an IB school, right? Mm. Uh, that's the way that most companies recruit, right? Because again, we're stuck in a very um, one dimensional kind of, you have a resume and a school you went to and a degree that you accomplished and a major that you majored in. Um, and then that has to somehow match like a job description that is often very poorly written that, you know, um, mm. just as the consequences of these are enormous, right? Because you're missing out on truly unlocking a potential that we all have collectively that I truly, really believe other than like bringing everyone or many more people to fulfillment than we currently do and across the board, having a more prosperous workforce is just, it's obvious to me. Like I see it, I know it right deep down. Mm. Um, and there are ways not to capitalize on it via tech and other places. It has to yeah. come also from like a policy and a, and a willingness on a societal governmental level, right? That needs to exist. Don't get me wrong. Tech is not the answer to yeah. everything by a mile. Uh, but I do think we have an opportunity that's pretty unique, uh, both in time and given where we are in terms of being able to execute on some of those ideas that we're talking about. 100%. Related to that personalization point, we've become accustomed to personalized digital consumer experiences. Netflix has a good idea about what you might like to watch. Amazon can predict pretty accurately what you might like to buy. But it hasn't really manifested itself in our careers as well as education. Why is that and how might that change? And is it to do with technology or is it to do with complexity related to our careers or is it just the fact that mobility and fluidity in who we work for hasn't allowed for up to now? You know, I, I think it comes from, and that, and that is changing, I think, too, too, too slowly, but, it, but I think that's another point where COVID made it abundantly clear that you, you shouldn't kind of leave yourself at the door, right? It's, I call that like enabling people to show up as, as truly themselves, right? Bringing the whole selves to, to work is what some other leaders call it. Um, you know, my, my life didn't change with COVID. Like I was still the same person, except uh, it was pretty clear that I was showing up on Zooms with like two kids in the background, right? And I always had that, like I always had to handle you know, both my professional life and my personal life. Like none of that has changed except that I think it's um, a little bit more obvious now that everything that was happening in the background, like came a little bit more forward, right. And a little bit mm -hmm. more clearly. Um, and I think we should hold on to that because the, the point is really to create an environment where you don't need to create this whole different persona at work. Right. And the reality is that in most cases you sort of have to, right. Like I, if I want to progress, um, as, as much in my career as my peers who don't have it's plenty of bias in here, right? Clearly, but, um, how much more powerful would it be if you just have this infrastructure where people can just truly show up as themselves at work 
then you would actually find them the right opportunities or the right next thing. Or, right, I, I think the reason why we haven't seen personalization as much is that people haven't actually been able to show up as themselves, right? So naturally, mm. if you feel like you have to sort of show up as someone else, first of all, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, but second of all, I think it prevents um, a, a level of customization that just can't happen because we don't know your needs, right? How many employees don't actually know very clearly who in their employee base have kids of what age and going to mm. what school or with what needs, right? Like that's what the benefits packages just don't reflect what people truly need, right? Because employers just don't know either because yeah. people don't self-report and don't feel comfortable doing so, right? Or for other reasons, but either way, like the result is the same. Right? You have really bad data and information as to what on a personal level people need professionally or otherwise, and you can't build the system around them to support them appropriately. Um, which again, to me, is a missed opportunity, right? Because yeah. it can unlock a lot. Um, yeah, it's nicely put. I mean, uh, I don't want to make this an advert for my book, but I'm re for me, really important part of what I've written about a lot over the past couple of years is reframing that work-life relationship. And that's why I don't think balance is the right expression of that, trading off the two together. And part of the reason I talk about flywheel or work-life flywheel is because the whole principle there is that they work together. They work together to create something that's greater than the sum of their parts and they feed into one another and they're interconnected. And only if you can get them to work together, do you actually build this sort of momentum that most people, that's what, how they often measure how well their career is going and how fulfilled they feel by making progress in some way. And uh, I definitely agree. It's, it's, you know, that's changed. And as it's, it's an opportunity, it's definitely an opportunity that we should grasp and um, change the way we think the attitudes that we have about work and life with that in mind. So clearly credentials and education are important. We've talked about skills, but how much do personality and behavioral traits play into team and company building versus formal training and credentials? Because it matters, doesn't it? And again, this feeds into this idea about your bringing yourself because it isn't just as simple as saying this person has this level of skill, this had this level of education, because there's always a trade-off. And it's difficult. You, you, some cases, you might trade off somebody who's got a slightly lower level of skill, but in terms of personality and behavior, that's the sort of person you want within your culture. So again, I'm wondering how we try to capture these different facets, these different parts of somebody's character. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it matters a lot. Um, I, you know, There's clearly some companies that are building psychometric assessments. So like there's a huge field of like, you know, uh, being able to, to capture that. I um, I think it's helpful to a degree. Uh, although, right, when you take a test, I don't know if you've ever done one of those psychometric things, um, back to my point about like, you feel like you have to sort of come into a role or like you have to build a persona at work that sort mm. of fits what's expected of you, right? You sort of know on those tests kind of where on the spectrum an employer would prefer you to be right. Like anything around like collaboration cooperation, like there's some tendency that are just somewhat neutral and most tests are trying to be built somewhat, you know, where you don't really know whether one is the other and you try to truthfully answer the question. Yeah. How well can you do that? I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a bit of a question mark for me, but it does get at an important point, which is you have a, a way of working a, a way of interacting with others that is just yours alone, right? It's like maybe you're a morning person. Maybe um, 
you know, you, you prefer to be uh, communicated with in a very direct fashion. Like I'm French and I'm very transparent and direct. And like most people don't really appreciate that communication style, right? They, um, there, there are some companies that are building or helping people build kind of user's manual of tell us a little bit more about like, how do you like to communicate? How do you like to work? How do, mm. what projects do you prefer to work on? What's more meaningful to you? All of that, right? And I think that's a step in the right direction. I think the ideal state there would be to capture that without people having to self-report on it, right? Um, so if in the course of my life, I do things that are worthy of being part of my digital identity, which is a term you employed earlier, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I was uh, massively in pain. This is a personal experience, unfortunately. Massively in pain because I injured my back. I had a dentist appointment to have a tooth extraction done. And I still went forward with it because I'm more of a type to just be like, all right, let's rip the bandit off. I'm in pain anyway. <laughs> let's do that. And, you know, next week will be a better week. What does that tell you about my personality? I'm sure it tells you something, right? I'm not a, this is not my area of expertise, but like, I'm sure it tells you infinitely more than me self-reporting yeah. on a psychometric assessment that I am persistent, right? It's like, just give me the lived experience that sort of demonstrates that and ideally capture mm. it along the way. Um, yeah. And then you'll form a much better picture of who that person is and how do they tend to operate and why Why would they particularly be good at that particular role? Well, because of all the 10, 15 ways that they've demonstrated that in their daily life, in and outside of work, by the way, right? Um, mm. And so we, we know that to be the case for that particular yeah. person for XYZ reasons. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, that would be good. Just one final question. You mentioned on your website, your mission, the full circles to close the alignment gap. I'm just interested what you exactly mean by that. Yes. Um, so I named the fund full circle um, because I felt like I was at that time in my life where I could finally bring everything together and tap into all my different experiences and, and, and build something that tapped into, into all of that to, to do some good. Um, I, I also really wanted to create something that was very sustainable and inscribed in the long term. And in VC, especially, there's often kind of a, if you want to fit the traditional mold of success and the, the, the path towards what demonstrates that you've been successful at your training, often it translates into larger and larger funds and larger and larger management fees and, you know, something that was just not interesting to me. And so I created a much smaller structure um, where I really wanted to align with my entrepreneurs and my investors in the fund um, and to be in a place where I could invest for the very long term in companies that might be successful very quickly and others who might take a little bit longer, right? Uh, but stripping out as much as I could as a permanent fund structure uh, for that reason, stripping out as much as I could in terms of the the structural misalignment that gets created over time um, that I didn't think was necessary and really wanted to fundamentally redesign what it could mean to be successful as an investor at the pre-seed stage. And so all of that um, fed, it fed into this closing the alignment gap that I, that I saw in the market. Nice. Great. Well, it's um, it's great to chat. I feel like we could talk for hours. Perhaps we'll return to to, yes. to this again and press record <laughs> on our time. But before we do wrap up for today, is there anything else you want to add? 
no, I, you know, I think I'm really, really excited as to what we can all build together. I think there's a lot of really collaborative efforts, uh, which is, you know, one of the other things that I built at Full Circle is I want to talk to as many entrepreneurs as possible who can learn from each other, don't consider themselves competitive. I think that that is all another change that we haven't talked about, but I think there's less of a pressure to be hyper competitive and more of a willingness to be collaborative mm. and opportunities that are so massive that surely more than one company can succeed at it. And I'm really excited um, about that. I think it will make for a much more fulfilling life in general, work, work or personal. Definitely. Well, look, Virginie, lovely to speak and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Cheers. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Ollie. So thank you very much to Virginie for her time and her insights. I really enjoyed that conversation. As I said at the beginning of the show, if you'd like more information about her or Full Circle, you'll find links in the show notes. More interesting guests in the weeks to come, so I'll see you here again next week.